0: there, Nehemiah chapter number two in your Bibles. Nehemiah chapter number two, I told the folks in the first service, this is not a bombastic message this morning, but there's some powerful truths if you will listen for the next little bit. And I, I prayed, sought the Lord, and I believe with all my heart that this was the series as we got back into things that we need to be on. Rise up and build. We have a job to do. And this world, if you haven't noticed, people are against the things of God. Satan's at work. It's amazing to me and that we can have... It is. I heard our governor say the other day, and I'm not against our governor. I know that the devil is behind the things that go against God's people. Say, well, he, he could be using him, but that's okay. We won't talk about all that. But um, he said just to Friday, it is the First Amendment right of people to be able to peacefully protest, and I stand by that. One thing the moron forgot was the fact that that same First Amendment is the one that says I have a right to worship God in church. Amen. So tell me how thousands, yesterday, thousands of people in cities all across the country can stand in the street right up against each other, no masks on, no nothing, but you come to church and you have to have less than 100 people in the building, even if you have a building that seats 10,000. And tell me how that is okay. And let me just say, I don't, I'm not blaming, and I'm not going after our governor. I did call him a moron a minute ago, didn't I? You pray for him as much as I do, you can say that once in a while. It's Satan at work. He hates the things of God. So if anyone has a problem, and as in a few weeks when we start getting back to even more normal, we're just going to say we're having a protest every Sunday. That's what we're doing. Like right now, this is a protest the governor said we have a right by the first amendment to protest this is a protest and you know that's the first thing in all honesty those first couple of weeks we met outside had those signs on the thing it was a protest against the governor saying that the first amendment didn't count for church but now you can have groups get together for a certain cause but heaven forbid it's for church now you even see some of the wording of some of these health officers It's okay to do it for a protest that means something. Well, do you know what means more than a protest? And I'm I'm not here to argue about the protest. If people are peacefully protesting, they have every right under the Constitution to do that. They have no right to loot and to riot. And this idea of defunding our police, that's the stupidest thing I think I've ever heard. You know, if you think we have a problem with our officers, why don't you invest more money and train them some more on certain things that you would like? Instead, you take money away and make their job harder. That's stupid. And give me a society without police officers and look at what trouble we'd be in. Look at what's happened the past couple weeks with officers. Imagine what would happen without them. And then we go on. No, I need to stop. I need to stop. Man. There have been more unarmed white people killed by officers this year than, any, than anyone else. And that's true. And so, that's what happens when you got kids in the room. They just say whatever. All lives matter. And I do believe we do have some racism issues that need to be addressed and should have been gone a long time ago. And it's wrong. Racism racism in any stripe is wrong. It's wicked, has no place in society. But there's so much more to all of it. We need the Lord. I probably lost half my audience online. They're still in here this morning. But I'm not politically correct. I like to be biblically correct on where I stand. And that's what matters. And I, and, I, and I don't like it. I feel like over the past several weeks, I've had to be way more political than what I like to be. I don't, I don't think in church we need to be strongly political. We need to be Jesus-based. But there come, you have to stand on certain things as well. And so, but we can never become a political thing. It must be based on Jesus and his word. That's so important. So Nehemiah chapter number two. All that to say that, I'm glad you ladies are finally coming into the service. Hope you guys had a good talk out there. Wait. You're waiting for all the latecomers. I know what you're doing. You're waiting for all the latecomers. And so, I know, I was I'm like, I wonder if those two are going to come into the service anytime soon or they're, gonna, they're waiting just in case if anyone came really late. And so, I, if you guys would have gotten in here sooner, I wouldn't have said half the things I just said. I, you could have saved me getting in trouble with people at some point. And then the other thing is you have all those people that say things, and then if you disagree with them, heaven forbid... You can't have a voice. And it's like, if you're free to say what you want to say, then I'm free to say it the right way. And everyone thinks that their way is right, but when did we get to, you know, we got into a society where if you don't agree with me, then heaven forbid you say a word. And last time I checked, a lot of people don't agree with everybody on every little thing. We have the common decency to have conversations and maybe grow from them. Good conversation, that's the thing that people miss. Good conversation on topics is a good thing. And sometimes my view could be wrong on something. And But as I talk with others about it, they might be able to help me with my view. But I might be able to help them as well. That's why it's good to talk and have talk. That's a good thing. But now it's like, if you don't agree with me, you're just racist. No, you're just stupid. That's what it comes (laughs) down to. And it's just amazing how we've gotten as a society together. And the problem is, this is what we need. We need God that's what we need and that's what our world needs we just need god that's the key to everything here you know we talk about reform in all these different areas how about we just get god to everyone how about we get jesus he can change a heart and do what no one else can do that's what we need today and let me just say we need church now more than ever the theme for the next several weeks on sunday morning rise up and build it is time that we rise together and do something greater than what's done in the past. The status quo, the apathy in church, all that nonsense needs to stop. If you're not convinced now that Jesus is coming sooner than later and you don't see all the problems in our world and realize the only answer is Jesus Christ, it should move us to action and do something. You know what our city needs? They need Jesus today. They don't need the parks opened up and all these, although we should have all those opened up. They need Jesus today. What are state needs it needs jesus today we don't need murals put on the lawn out in front of the Capitol. we don't need all these different things we just need a bunch of jesus is what we need we don't need any more political talk that does nothing have you noticed a lot of people like to talk and then nothing happens but we can't say too much because at church we do the same thing a lot of talk and no action behind it we read the book of nehemiah and we see nehemiah he remember he one of his friends had come back from jerusalem he said how's the city And we see that he told Nehemiah, it's lying in waste, there's issues, the walls are burned down and the people are just living among it and it's awful, they're in great affliction. And we see it all started by Nehemiah, he had a concern about the problem. There's a problem in Jerusalem, he had never been there, but he was concerned about the problem. And may I just tell you today and remind you today, there should be a concern for the problem today in our world. There should be a concern about what's going on in the United States of America today. There should be a concern about all of that. It's time for God's people to wake up, get out of their little comfort box, and do something for God. Time is short. Now's the time to do it. And you see, when you realize there's a problem, what that leads to, number two from last week, we need to have a strong conviction of who God is. Because when you know, realize there's a problem, what happens secondly is you realize you can't fix the problem. Church, we can't fix the problem in our world by ourselves today. There's one who can fix the problem. His name is Jesus Christ, and we must realize he's the one who can do it. And as we get closer to him, and as we see the, that fact, what happens is we start to look and be like, oh yeah, the world's not in good shape, but my heart's not in good shape either. Before I can really help someone else with their sin, I should clean up my sin. And there's confession. And we get right with God. I've never seen God judge a nation or judge people based on the heathen of the land. It's always based on his people. Always. So let me just give you this our biggest problem in America today is not the Democrats, it's not the Republicans, it's not CNN not Fox News, not our governor. The biggest problem in America today is Christians. That's our biggest problem. When you get a concern for the problem, it leads you to God. The closer you get to God, the more you see you need to clean yourself up. When you clean yourself up, it builds confidence in the promises of God. I've never seen a confident Christian living in sin. And you say, well, pastor, we, live in sin, we do live in sin often, to be honest. But you know, you know there are times where you've gotten right with God and where you're just, yeah, every promise of the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Yeah. You get, there's more confidence in God the closer you are to Him. And so we see that there's a concern, strong conviction, confess your sins, you have strong confidence in the Lord, which leads to action. Today we see Nehemiah's action in chapter number 2. And let's dive in and see how far we get. I got through it last service, and we're going to do our best to get through it this service. And it came to pass, chapter 2, verse number 1 in the month, Nisan, in the 20th year of our the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been aforetime sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Verse number 4. Then said the king unto me, For what doth thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Father, bless the next few minutes we have here this morning. Pray that you'd be pleased and glorified. We love you. We need you. Please work in our hearts and in our lives and help us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How to tackle a tough job. It's a tough job. Nehemiah had a tough job before him. And may I just remind you today, we got a tough job before us. But I'm going to give you some things to help us today. I'm going to give you the tools that we need and then the tasks we need to perform before we get to work very interesting this passage gives us so many key insights into Nehemiah's life and so many things to help us and so I love tools my dad you go into his garage still and his tools aren't as organized as they used to be he blames me said when I grew up I kind of didn't put the I don't know if that was my fault or not but my tools look a lot like his tools now and so maybe it was my fault don't shake your head at me but I love tools. how many of you like tools anybody like tools yeah, I love tools. I could, I would be fine going into, going into the tool store. I even like going into Harbor Freight, and Harbor Freight, they're junk tools, but I just like going in there because they have some interesting tools at times, and sometimes they're cheap, so you just see what it does. You know, I like tools. Tools, I, if you got me a tool, I'd be fine with that. Even if I got like 5,000 um, screwdrivers, 5,001 is fine with me, and uh, I just like tools. Got that from my dad. I like to, I like to work on things, And uh, this morning, first service, Elizabeth, um, she, her car, her remote wouldn't start. And so the battery is dead. Well, if you know those car batteries very well, all of them have basically the same battery inside. So I opened up mine and switched it and gave her my battery and I'll go get a new battery later. And, uh, but if I would have had a screwdriver in my office, it would have made opening up that little thing very easy. I didn't have a screwdriver. And I tried to do it with my hands. It didn't work out very good. And so I found some, I got some ingenuity and used something in my office. I used a paperclip and something else, and I got it open. But it would have been nice if I had a screwdriver, I could have done it. Oh, is there screwdrivers in there? Oh, in the cabinet. See, and this is my problem. My wife tries to organize me, and I don't know where ever anything is. And uh, if, if nothing's touched, I know, I can, f- in the midst of chaos, I can find what I'm looking for because I put it somewhere. But when someone moves it and uh, trying to be nice to me or just trying to, I don't know, I, I, but anyways... So there is screwdriver. thanks. I'm glad I knew there was a screwdriver in my office. That's wonderful. I thought I had one somewhere, but it wasn't where I thought it was. So that's okay. Praise God, there's a screwdriver there. So I got my finger all messed up for nothing. But it's right. It's nice to have the right tool for the right job. Um, a hammer. I've got probably three or four hammers, maybe five. Got some heavier ones, some lighter ones. I like hammer. I just like tools. It's one of those things. And you know, so you got you know, you guys that like shoes. That's your thing. And the tools are my thing. And uh, I was looking at someone sitting in that third row over there. I couldn't believe how many pairs of shoes that guy, Cruz has, how many, shoes, how many pairs of shoes do you have? Hundreds. He's got, he's, got, he's got more than his wife. He's got more than Allison. He likes shoes. And I like tools. It's all good, you know? And uh, I, it's just the, and so, but the other day I needed a hammer and I was here at church. When I lived here right next door, I could get all my tools anytime I need them. I live someplace else and I don't have many tools here. So what I did was I didn't have a hammer, but I had my drill, and the bottom of that battery worked pretty good to do what I needed it to do. It's not the best thing, but it worked. But it's nice to have the right tools for the job. And I want to give you five tools that Nehemiah used to get going in this thing. Number one, we see he used the tool of waiting. So oh, pastor, I was expecting a screwdriver tape measure. That's what I was expecting. No, Nehemiah, for the task that was ahead, first thing that he did, he waited. So what do you mean? Look at, the, look at verse number 11 of chapter 1. It says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to my prayer. Now. Well, you go from chapter 1 to chapter number 2, four months passed by. That's, it didn't happen right away. It took four months' time for God to answer his prayer, he had to wait on the Lord. He was a man of decisive action, and when he prayed, he waited for God to answer. And you gotta and you look at it. He wanted God to answer right away. The book of Hebrews tells us in chapter six, verse number twelve, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Patience, waiting just a little bit. Nehemiah. Wanted God to answer quicker, but God answered when he did. Have you waited for God to ever answer prayer? Have you realized something he doesn't answer it when you want him to? He answers it when it's supposed to happen. That's how God works. And may I remind you of something? Waiting is not wasted time. Sometimes we look, well, if you would just answer now, I wouldn't waste all this time. No, we're gonna see in a few minutes. Some of the other tools that Nehemiah had. He had those tools because he had all this time to prepare. And sometimes when we're looking at waiting is not a wasted opportunity, it's helping you get ready and God's giving you time to prepare. You know, think about David. He was anointed to be king when he was a young man, right? Well, he could have had many more years as king. No, he had to go through some trials in his life to prepare him to be king. That's how God did it. You know, Joseph went through a lot of things before he would be second in command in Egypt. But it was a prepared time. He's getting prepared to do what God had for him. God took a while. God had some preparing and work to do in Moses before he could lead the children of Israel. 40 years of waiting. And sometimes we have to wait. The Bible tells us, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The Bible tells us, we know this verse, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We have to wait on the Lord, and we see as we look at number one, the first tool that Nehemiah had in his toolbox was a tool of waiting, just waiting on God. We don't like that tool. In fact, we prefer never to use that tool. But waiting is important. The second tool that we see that Nehemiah used was the tool of trusting. Trusting. So what do you mean? Look at verse 2 and 3. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And look at what it says right there. Then I was very sore afraid. That very sore afraid means a terrible fear came over him. Like, why was he fearful? To be sad in the presence of the king could have meant death. Because if you were in front of the king, you should be content with being in front of the king. Nothing else mattered. The king was the top guy he was the top dog if you weren't around the king if you're around the king everything's great he could be sentenced to death just for being sad in the presence of the king but do you notice something that fear came upon him and then he acted still he trusted god what are you afraid of this morning some people are afraid of their past they don't want to deal with it or something you did long ago will catch up with you. Maybe you're afraid of the present. Afraid of a virus. Afraid of snakes. Joe and I have done some hiking lately. And um, two of the trails, there's been a snake on those trails. And he's the one who sees them before I do. And then the other day we're on one and this person says, there's a snake up ahead. So our fast walking pace slowed down. We're just looking, looking, looking. There was no snake. They could have just said that just to scare us. I don't know. But I didn't have, I didn't, Who? anybody like snakes in the room? You, you like snakes? I'm going to take you on a hike with me and we'll see how much you like snakes. <laughs> you like snakes? And you said you like snakes? Some weird people in this world that like snakes. I, I don't know. You know I'm kind of like Indiana Jones, and I have a lot in common. No snakes, no snakes at all. And uh, snakes, I hate snakes. I remember that, anyways, from that movie. That good. That was a good biblical movie, The Ark of the Covenant, right? And uh, yeah, we'll just we'll just leave that one right there. We'll leave that right there. Good, good, good stuff, man. That's better than some of the stuff on today. But anyways, um, I don't know where I was going. We're talking about fear. Maybe you fear the future. Fear a phone call. You fear doctor's visit a best-selling book called who moved my cheese that's an interesting book the author asked a very penetrating question what would you do if you weren't afraid and he points out in that book that oftentimes that um, the fear often keeps us from taking the steps we need to move forward because we're just fearful fear can paralyze us and there are some fears In our world today and moving forward, there was fears for Nehemiah. If I show my sad countenance here before the king, what's he gonna say? Is he gonna have me killed? But he didn't let the fear win. He trusted God. That's what you gotta understand. Nehemiah's faith was stronger than his fear. We all have fears. we need faith. And those that are found in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith chapter, they showed great faith. Their faith was stronger than their fear. Daniel in the lion's den, his faith was stronger than the fear. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, their faith was stronger than their fear. We need to trust the Lord today. It's so important. See number three, with some of the tools in Nehemiah's toolbox. He had the tool of waiting, the tool of trusting, the tool of praying. I love this. If you look at me at verse number four, then the king said unto me, for what doth thou make request? What does the king say? That's, that's King James there. Let me give you today's, what do you want? That's, that's basically what he's saying. What do you want? And look at what he does. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, let me just let you in on a little secret here. If he were to fall to his knees and, Oh, God, help me right now! If he were to have fallen to his knees or done anything like that, they probably would have thought he was going to attempt to assassinate the king. Something was going to happen. This was a quick, short prayer in his head. God, help me. You know when the Bible talks about we're supposed to pray without ceasing? I think that's what this is talking about. Nehemiah, Lord, help me. He said this in his head, and then he started talking to the king. Nehemiah knew where his help came from. It came from God. He prayed to God, but let me just, and so you say, sweet, what's the need to ever pray long? I can just pray short little prayers to God and it's all good. Do you know why he could pray a short prayer there and why he could trust the Lord? Because for four months, he had been praying and fasting leading up to this time. This was not just something he stumbled upon. It was something that was built upon. And the Bible says here, so he prayed to the God of heaven. I love that right there. Doesn't that encourage you? You can pray to God anytime. And it doesn't have to be a long prayer. It doesn't have to be a prayer like some people. Some people know how to pray. And they got all the eloquent words, and they speak all this wonderful mumbo-jumbo. You don't have to be able to do all that. God hears our prayers no matter what the length is, and praise God for that this morning. And so we see, what tools did Nehemiah have in his tool bag? He had the tool of waiting. He had the tool of trusting God. He had the tool of praying, which leads us to number four. He had the tool of planning. This one's very important. And look with me at verse number 5, and look through verse number 8. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wilt send me into Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulcher, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, The queen also sang by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, Let letters be given to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And let a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gate of the palace, which pertaineth to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that shall I enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. The king says, okay, you want to go? How long are you gonna be gone? Um, I don't know. Beats me. Well, what are you gonna do when you get there? I don't know. That doesn't that wouldn't, probably wouldn't have gone over very well. You know, Nehemiah had four months leading up to this time. Do you know what he did? He planned. There was a plan in place. And sometimes we think this: we pray and then we don't gotta do anything else. Everything else is gonna be just fine. There's got to be a plan behind it. And God helped with this plan. But the, so the king says, okay, Nehemiah, you want to go? How long are you going to be gone? Well, king, about this amount of time. I also am going to need the governors in these cities on the way. I'm going to need their help to get where I need to go. And I also need a gift card to Home Depot to get all the wood that we need so we can build the wall. And I'm just taking that. That would have been today's sort of thing but he's asking for the supplies to build the wall as well. He had a plan in place. And that's so important. As we get ready to do a great work for God, may I remind you of a sign? We need to pray as everything depends on God, and we need to work as well. And we got a plan. Planning is so important, and we need a plan. And I, I know sometimes you might think to yourself, Pastor just runs by the seat of his pants. He doesn't plan anything. There's a lot of planning that goes into everything that takes place. Planning's important. We need planning. What was that old saying? That just reminded me of something I, I learned in school. Proper prior planning prevents poor performance. That just came back to me right now. The key to learning is repetition, right? And so I remember hearing that one over and over again. I don't remember what I just said, but I said it once. Proper prior planning. Prevents poor performance. It's very true. Planning's important. But may I tell you something? Sometimes you make a plan and the plan has to change. Do you know Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem? He got a plan in place. But he's gonna go later and, and assess the plan. But he had a plan. You know, use the opportunities that God gives, have a plan. How are we going to reach our city for Christ? How are we going to do it with social distancing? We're we going to do it. How are we going to reach our state, our world? How's it going to happen? That'd be a plan. And then we see number five, the last tool we see testify. You see what Nehemiah said there at the end of verse number eight? And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. You know, Nehemiah didn't say, Hey, the king said I could go, because I went before him. Hey, I was the king's cupbearer. I did all this, I prayed, I was sad in his presence, I spoke up, I got all the wood I need to build the wall, I got everything done. No, Nehemiah realized where everything came from. God's hand was upon the situation. None of the things that happened could have happened if God was not in on it. And he testified about it. Psalm 118 tells us, is it Psalm 118? And um, I sometimes when I get away from it, Psalm 118, 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Man, church, we've got to remember, you have got to understand something. Nehemiah was meticulously, he had a plan, and he was getting ready to put his plan to action, but it would have been for naught if God wasn't working in the midst of it. And truly, as we build and as we move forward for God, we've got to remember something. It's the Lord's doing. It's Him working, and we look. And sometimes we look at circumstances and we're like, we don't know how this is going to happen, how this is going to work out, but may I remind you, the Lord can do anything. He's still in control. And as He's still in control, we've got to remember, He's the one who gets all the credit for what takes place. Not us. It's not about us. A couple weeks ago, I wasn't too thrilled. We had There was an article, my page was the front page of the Chino Champion. That's not, I don't like having my, plus I didn't want the publicity about it, but I, what I wanted, my, what I tried to relay in that article or the things that I was asked, I wanted the lady to know we're doing this for the Lord. But may, that article, when I read it, made it may sound like I was taking a stand myself and it brought some praise to me for taking a stand. And that was never meant to be done. We were not going back to meet at church to defy someone or to go against them. We were doing it for the Lord's sake. That's why we are getting back together. The Lord calls us to be together. It's what the Lord wants, and the Lord was going to work it all out. And it's the Lord's doing. And I love how Nehemiah here, he says, all this happened not because of what I did. It happened because of God's good hand upon the situation. And that's why he spent four months in prayer. That's why he spent four months fasting through some of that time. That's why he prayed as he was there in front of the king. It was God working in the midst. That's what we need today. And we need the people of God to testify to the fact that God's working. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hey, when God's doing something, let everyone know that God's at work. And we look at our world today and we wonder, I want you to know something. God's still working today. And praise God, He is. And we can do more for Him. And I'm excited about the future as we continue on. Well, we look at verse number 10 when Sam Ballot, and then there's a guy named Tobiah. It grieved them exceedingly that we were come to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. There's always people that don't like the work of God doing anything. These guys, they weren't happy. These were the guys who were like, I love seeing Jerusalem destroyed. I love seeing the city not what it could be. They got upset because someone came to do something about it. And any time you serve God, there's always going to be opposition. Because, we you've got to understand, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, against uh, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where our fight is. Our fight's not government today. Our fight's Satan. He's the fight. And remember that with people. Our battle's not against people. And just because people don't, have it all together, or they don't know the Lord like you do, maybe it would do us some good to have more compassion like Jesus did. I think that's what we need. But those who know the Lord and they still have no sense inside of them, it's hard to have compassion on them. But they need compassion as well. Toolbox. Five tools. Waiting. Trusting. We saw number three there. Um, Prayer. Number four, planning. Number five, testifying. So you got the tools. Now what are the tasks that you need for tackling a tough job? We've got 10 minutes for five points. Great, wonderful. My dad, with all the tools he had, he was a diesel mechanic for years. And he could work on just about any vehicle. And that's one of the things he tried to pass down to me. I mentioned last service. and. One of the things, like next year in the Christian school, we got to teach our teen- teenagers need to learn how to change oil on a car. They need to learn how to uh, change a tire. They need to know how to do basic things. And so next year I'm going to be teaching. I'm going to take, every once in a while, I'm going to take the teenage boys and the teenage girls, and I'm going to teach them how to do those simple tasks. If you think your oil is in the gas tank, you've got issues there, and uh, hopefully you don't put that in there. But you should be able to check your own oil. And I know nowadays it's almost cheaper and easier just to get your oil changed. I get all of that. But my clutch went out on my first vehicle that I had, probably because I was learning how to drive it. That probably didn't help. It was a Nissan Pathfinder. I love that vehicle. My older brother bought it brand new. I got it from him with 350,000 miles on it. Same engine, same transmission. That was the third clutch. And uh, I drove it till about 450,000. I sold it to someone, same engine, same transmission. That thing just kept running, 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 running. Well, it was time to change the clutch. And my dad, my dad was a good mechanic. He knew what he was doing. And so he wanted me to learn how to do it. And so to change the clutch, you got to take the transmission out. And uh, in, in this Pathfinder, I believe, I had to um, loosen the motor mounts because the motor had to be able to swing a little forward. And then you had about six or seven bolts on the transmission. Then you had to disconnect the transmission from the drivetrain and all the, the drive shaft, whatever, all that stuff. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it. It's all good. My dad, he was very meticulous, and he was very good at making sure that all the parts, you know, you don't want to get done putting something back together and have a bunch of screws left over. It just isn't the way to do it. And so he said he had a system, and his system took longer, and I didn't like his system because I thought I could do it better. His system was this. You take little uh, sandwich bags, the Ziploc bags, and as you go through, every set of bolts you take out, you put in the bag and you label where it came from. So in that way, when it comes time, you just get that bag and you put all those bolts back and you have them all there. My way, are you ready for mine? This is very, very smart. Are you right? Unscrew it, put it on the ground. Unscrew it, put it on the ground. Unscrew it, put them on the ground. At the end, you just have a pile of bolts sitting there. You know, they all got to go somewhere. You just So anyways, it took longer to try and remember where they went when it was all done. And then remember putting the transmission back. I was either six or seven, and I was missing two of them. And I, you know, and you really want your transmission not to be loose. You want it to be alright. And uh, so, I think my dad actually took those two, just to try to teach me a little lesson that I should have had them all there. And uh, got them all back in there. But it would save me a lot of time if I would take taken some time to plan and to look at the task ahead and to plan for it. We saw that Nehemiah had the tools he needed. Now he had to get work he already had planned but now he's in jerusalem and things are going to be a little bit different so i want to give you real quick over the next few minutes i want to give you five tasks to do for the tough jobs before you start the tough job are you ready all right number one number one look at verse number 11 so i came to jerusalem and was there three days number one nehemiah first replenished his resources he rested before he got started. Do you know the Bible tells us that, in, that Ezra did the same thing when he got to, the Bible tells us in the book of Ezra chapter 4, with Ezra 3, you got that verse for me? Ezra 8. And we came to Jerusalem in about there three days. Before Ezra got to work, before Nehemiah got to work, they replenished themselves. And one of the things you got to remember and something that's so important, this journey of four months for Nehemiah took a toll. Can you imagine the worry on him. The, uh, he's praying, he's fasting, he's going before the king, and then he rides to Jerusalem. Can you imagine? You know, we talk about jet lag. He probably had camel lag. That would have been what he had. And uh, he was worn out. But you see, before he assesses the situation, he rested. Let me just give you a little thought here. And something that should be important, you've got to understand something. Before he could go look at the city and see what the city needed, he took a nap. You know it. When you're tired, you get cranky. You might not think as clear as you might. Sometimes before you do something, you just need to rest. But Nehemiah, now's the time. Yeah, but he had to make sure he was alert to do what he needed to do. And sometimes we run by the seat of our pants, we get all worn out, and there comes a point where we just need to rest. That's what happened to Elijah. Elijah. We read about Elijah and the depression that he had and things. What's the first thing God had him do? God just had him rest, go to sleep. Then the angel would wake him up, give him some food, let him go back to sleep. Sleep's important. Your rest is important. And that's where there are certain times where you just need to take a break from it all. And I probably should do more than what I do. It's hard for me to preach on it because I should do more than what I do. Like last night, Caroline and I just got away for a few hours. We went to the beach, the two of us, going to watch the kids. We went to um, Dana Point. That's the place, uh, when I flew Caroline out here, we were dating for about six months, 14 years ago. It was really the last time we were there. We ate at the same restaurant we ate at 14 years ago. We found this tree that we took pictures by. We went and sat out by the water, and I just took my mind off of things. It's important. You know, Jay, your ministry... Isn't that important? There's some downtime? That's what Nehemiah did before he was going to come, and that's important. Because sometimes we get so boggled down, you got to rest. You've got to take care of yourself. He had to be able to think clearly. He couldn't think clearly after that long trip and all he'd gone through. So we see, first of all, number one, as we talk about tasks to tackle a tough job, Nehemiah first replenished his resources. Number two, after getting recharged, Nehemiah assessed the need. Look at verse number twelve. And I arose in the night, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. It's interesting, he didn't tell anybody yet. He knew what God had placed in his heart, but he didn't tell anybody yet. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned, and the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. We see after he recharged, he assessed the need. He knew that in order to lead this project... He had to go look at it. Why did he go at night? Because he because he didn't want other people to see. Tobias, Simbalit, these others they were against him. He went at night because they were sleeping. The enemy wasn't out at night. That the enemy was resting at that time. He could go out and view and get a, and see. Now this is the thing. Say why didn't Nehemiah tell the people? They needed to see the problem to get a burden to do something. If he were just to tell the people, we're going to do this, they didn't see what was up. He took some men with him. So we see, secondly, they assessed the need, and a couple thoughts underneath that. And as we look at this, and on his journey there, there's at least three things he did on this assessment. The first thing was, he noticed that it was a demanding job. You think about it, the circuit of the walls was more than a mile long, and the new wall needed to be three or four feet thick, at least 15 to 20 feet high. This wasn't going to be an easy job. But he knew that he and the people could do it with the Lord's help. And may I just remind you, kingdom work, the work of God, it's a demanding job. And it's daunting at times. But it can be done. And we can do it. Not only a demanding job, it was a hazardous assignment. Nehemiah went at night because the enemies lurked around. He didn't say anything to anyone until the right time. He didn't tell any of the rulers. He didn't tell anyone. It was also a cooperative venture. It was only by surveying the walls and the gates that Nehemiah could calculate how the work could be divided. Which leads us to the third task. The first task was getting some rest. The second task was getting assessing the need. Number three was after replenishing his resources and assessing the need, Nehemiah now recruited workers. He needed workers. Look at verse 17. Then after, then, I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we're in. How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more reproach. Nehemiah gathers together a large group of prospective help, and he says, let's look and see how we can do this together you've gotta realize something church. The work of God, the task we have before us, it is not a one man job. Sometimes I think we get the idea the pastor, the pastor is a one man. It's not. The church is not made up of just a pastor. The church is made up of a body. Everyone working in that body to do their job. And we talk about Marquise, he's not here right now, but next Sundays is his last Sunday. There's going to need to be five or six people to step up in different areas to cover the things that he does. It doesn't just magically happen. It's going to have to happen. Because, you know what, Marquise, one of the best things he did, he would take things from me to help me. I could probably have 50,000 other things taken away from me and still have too much to do. Marquise helped me. A teenager needs a ride here. Marquise would do it. So what's going to happen in two weeks? If someone doesn't step up, I'm going to have to start picking up teenagers again say do you mind picking up teenagers? i don't mind picking up anybody i'll do whatever i got to do but you want me to preach three messages a week to you you want me to do my devotionals you want me to do all the work i'm supposed to do and pray for you and then there's other things that other people could help with we should be teaming together the work of god we got he recruited workers it's not a one-man thing it's a multi-person it's a team effort and it's so important Nehemiah, he identifies with the workers. He tells them, do you see the trouble we're in? Do you see where we're at with things? And he gets, them, he, see, he gets them to see, and this is the problem. They had all these issues, but they had lived among it. It was no big deal to them, the apathy that they had. And the same thing today, we as Christians, do you not see the need that we have to do the things of God? Is it okay just to do it as we've always done? No, we've got to get more for God. We've got to do more for Him today. Do you see the need? And Nehemiah was like, you've lived among us, but do you see what's going on? We've got to do something about it. He invites them to action. Their sacrifice would be huge. And then number four, after Nehemiah recruited workers, Nehemiah inspired confidence in the people. Look at verse 18. Whew, and it's 11 o'clock. we got to hurry up here. You guys are taking too long. Here we go. Look at verse number 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God that was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build, so they strengthened their hands for this good work. After he recruited people, you see, he inspired confidence in the people. Well, rebuilding the wall is an important job, and most people would say the rebuilding of the wall is key to the book of Nehemiah. I would say the theme of Nehemiah is the sufficiency of God. That's what I would say is the key and the theme of the book. His mind dwells, you think about this, about the greatness of God and how God was going to help them and he explained to them, God's in this. And he inspired confidence in the people because God was at work in their midst in what they were doing. Nehemiah tells them, I told them what God had done already, how he had worked in the king's heart and how he let me come, gave me all the wood that we need, how the king let me leave. God did all those things for me. And he reminded them, and you know, and this is what happens sometimes. We look at situations, we look at trying to build and continue on as a church, and a lot of times we're either content with the way things have been, or we've tried that before and it didn't work. Someone's defined leadership as the art of getting people to do what they ought to do, because they want to do it. Good way to look at it. But Nehemiah inspired confidence in the people. You know, we're not done. Our church, we got, we got to do more for God. That's why this theme of rebuild or build, we need to do greater works. Ten years ago, in a few months, I came to the city of Chino to pastor a church. In 2010. We we're in the middle of the recession then. I remember Caroline's pregnant with William. And I had some. I had people tell me, "You're kind of crazy to be doing this. You don't have a job. Where are you going to work? I don't know. Where are you going to live? Oh, we're going to go live with my parents for a little bit till we find a place. You're going to start a church. How are you going to have money? Now's a stupid time. You have a you have a job that you're getting paid for and everything else. Now's not the time to do it. Heard that over and over and over and over again. It's amazing. God started a church. Three or four weeks in. God merged the church in this place and within a month a paid off building people who could do some work God did great things and God's still in the business of doing great things you heard people back then you can't build a church I think we've got a pretty good church today that's the Lord's doing he can do more he can do much more. Let's get some confidence from the Lord that He's still working today. And then fifth and lastly, He handled opposition. Verse 19 tells us but when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then I answered them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we as servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. I love his response. Those guys, do you see the wall? You're going to fix that? Why is church so important to you? You're selfish for wanting to go to church. Oh, isn't that a thing that we hear? And I think I just heard that this last week. It's a selfishness that you put people's health at risk for going to church. And a post that I read, if a pastor truly loved his people, he wouldn't have he wouldn't hold church. That's garbage. Complete garbage. But it's opposition. It's what it is. But I love Nehemiah. He didn't stoop down to their level. Said, just so you know, guys, you can laugh us to scorn, you can mock all you want. This is the Lord's work. This is the Lord's house we're his servants and you don't have a portion in any of it you don't have a clue what's going on because you're not part of it it's God's work and we're his servants doing his work it's like a mic drop moment good response God's work we're his servants and those who don't want nothing to do with it, they don't need to be doing anything with it. And the other thing is, they're never going to understand. No one in this world is going to understand why church is so important to us. They won't. But they see it's important for people to go out and protest. just because they don't have the right thinking. The natural man is blinded to the spiritual things. That's his Bible. There's a reason behind it all. But Nehemiah, he handled opposition. So what did we learn today? We learn the fact there are some tools that we need for the job ahead. We need to learn to wait on God. We need to learn to trust Him. We need to um, pray. We need to plan. And we need to testify. And then as we get ready, the tasks we need to do, we need to make sure we're rested. Hey, Let me give you one last thought underneath that. So many people make so many stupid decisions in life when they're tired and worn out. And when they're emotionally drained. That's not the time to make a major decision. Don't do it then. It's not wise to make major decisions when you're broken, when you're hurting. I have many people in my office, and I've said it several times, this is not the time in your life to make a big decision. Let things calm down, then make a decision. And most of the time, they do what they want to do, and they end up coming back. I should have listened. If I could, if I could, I should. The other day, Joe and I were on a hike, and uh, this, they had the sign that says "Beware of snakes," and it was rattlesnakes. Then there was this little there was this little thing at the bottom that said "adult," "baby," and then they had marks for how many they had seen on the trail. That really woke my eyes up. You know, it wasn't like it was a hundred, but there was five on each. And you know, the only thing worse than getting bit, bit by a rattlesnake would be a baby rattlesnake, because I don't think they know how to control their venom. And so that just would probably be worse. And so, again, you know, after saying that. I wish I could put in my office little check marks for how many people have come and said, Pastor, you were right. And not because I know anything, but the Bible points it out. Make sure you rest it up. And right now, there's a lot of hurting people, a lot of things around us. Don't make a major decision when you're broken or when you're hurting or when you're worn out. Wait. Isn't it amazing sometimes you could go to bed one night and think the world's ending, and then the next morning you've gotten some sleep, you wake up, and you're like, not as bad as I thought it was last night. Ever do that? I do that every once in a while. I'm like, oh, the church, things are falling apart. And then I wake up, what was I so worried about last night? I just need to get some rest. We well, see, he got some rest. He assessed the need. He recruited workers. And they got busy doing the work, and they instilled confidence in the war. Then we see he handled opposition. That's what we need for the task ahead. Father, we love you. We thank you.